0: This is the Color Pencil Podcast, session number 275. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a color pencil podcast, weekly discussions in and around this medium that we love so much. Hey there, welcome back. This is the Color Pencil Podcast. My name is John Middick of sharpenedartist.com, and I am your host. I'm so excited today to answer another question in our question call in series. And today, Maria has a question about being afraid of the dark, being afraid of your shadow. It's a very common question that comes up quite often. So let's go ahead and listen to the call. Hello, John. My question is how to overcome one's fear of shadows, not the one that follows you around when the sun is out. It's the one that stares back at you from your photo or subject that you are about to embark upon. For example, the color looks to be of the brown shade, probably sepia, but alas, it is too dark, or so that is what I perceive. What can you recommend to help with this, the book, tutorials, etc. Please help me. Thanks. Maria. All right. Thank you so much, Maria, for uh, calling that in. What, what do we do when we're afraid of the dark? Is there, is there something we can do to overcome this? Who has the answers? Here's what I've done. And I remember feeling like this. Very few people that I've ever met who have come to art late in life said that all these things just came together automatically and they understood it perfectly the first time. Okay. That just doesn't happen. So it is a challenge. Uh, For most of us who have come to art late in life, and I'm right there with you, and uh, it's not something, you know, that I was doing all of my adult life, right? So that's what I mean by that. Okay, when when we start trying to incorporate color in our work, you know, maybe we started out in charcoal or graphite, something like that, and then you start introducing color and... This is sort of the gateway for many of us who are colored pencil artists. It's, I don't think, as common for someone to go from oil painting or watercolor to colored pencil. I think it's probably more common to go from graphite or some drawing medium to colored pencil. So we're starting then to introduce color into our work, right? So I'm going to talk about it from that perspective. Plus, that's the best way for me to talk about it because that's what I did. Now, I did oil paint a long, long time ago. That was nearly a different lifetime uh, when I was a teenager and um, early 20s, just a little bit. Okay, but here, here's the thing. When, when we're looking at a value and say we've got it in one of our favorite photo editors uh, on our computer uh, or an app on your tablet or phone, and you're identifying with an eyedropper tool or something like that, what this particular value or color is. And it tells you, oh, this is sepia, as Maria pointed out. So this is some kind of dark brown, right? Castle Earth, or, you know, something, something like that. This is nearly black. What do you do about that? And uh, if you're afraid to put that down, then what do you do? Do you, do you go ahead and just bite the bullet and put it down anyway, even if you feel very antsy about it and unsure about it? Now, I've heard some advice, and I, I don't really subscribe to this, that often people will say, and I, I realize where it come fr- comes from, though, but let me put it like this. I've seen this, where someone will say, yeah, I'm afraid to go too dark. And when we're talking about a portrait, let's talk about that. I know Maria works in portraiture, and so I think this is uh, a good way to speak about this. So someone says, you know, well, here's what you do. You build it up very, very slowly, and you start with the light colors first and gradually work your way backwards into the darks. And then that will take care of that problem. You'll know how dark to go. Um, and, and I, I understand why someone would say that, but here's the problem with that. If you're starting backwards and you're starting with lights and you're going in the opposite direction, then to darks, then you're not understanding the full tonal value range at the very beginning, right? So your darks, they're going to look really, really dark to you pretty quickly because you've been working in the lights for so long. So all of those light values um, will start to look really washed out if you go very dark at all. This is very difficult to talk about over an audio podcast, right? Bear with me. Uh, So here's the thing. What is brown? What is black? It's not on the color wheel, right? It's a shade. It's a shade for the most part, okay? Okay. So we're you subtractive color, you think about that. We're we're combining things together, right? In colored pencil, we're adding colors together. But what is brown? Well, more than likely it's an orange color, right? An orange or a red. Okay. And so if I use some colors together, but the predominant color that I'm after is a dark brown, then I can combine by layering some of my darker colors together, like some reds, greens, and, and, uh, red, green, and blue together. Uh, then I can get that particular color, right? Nothing wrong with me grabbing sepia or, um, sepia. I always, I always call that sepia. I don't know why I grew up calling it that, I think. And, uh, I always, uh, Uh, Go back to that. um, And I get a lot of people telling me I'm so wrong about pronouncing that. (laughs) I realize that. I think it's a rebellious streak in me because my mother was big time into grammar and pronunciation of words correctly. And so uh, I would talk about, you know, I got some dimes and quarters here. And she'd say, You mean quarters? Like, okay. Yeah, quarters, mother. No one speaks like that. Anyway. So I think it's a a rebellion uh, in me to mispronounce words on purpose from time to time. But anyway, okay, sepia. I'll, I'll try to say it correctly here. But um, <laughs> so if we're looking at the color sepia, though, and we want to use that, there's nothing wrong with doing that or castle earth or anything that's very, very dark, right? There's nothing wrong with doing that. As long as you know what this actual Color is. So if I know what the local color is of the object that I'm portraying, then I can use some other color to depict a shadow or the darkest recessed area in a piece where there is no light, right? And I think my opinion is this that early on, if you show the full dynamic range of values very early on in your drawing, then I think you're a lot better off because you've established the value structure right away, okay? If you're working on white paper, then I think that it's better to start with the darkest values. Um, And I'm not talking about firing in the darkest value over in the shadows and making them as dark as they eventually will be by the time you're done with the piece. But I am talking about creating them pretty dark, nearly as dark as what they'll be, a little darker than uh, what they would be in the mid-range of value for the darks. Okay, this is so hard to talk about. Let's think about a scale, all right? Bear with me here. Thought experiment. Okay, put your thinking cap on with me. And the thought experiment is this, that we're talking about a scale from 1 to 10, and everything from 1 uh, to 5 is in the lights. Everything from 6 to 10 is in the darks, right? So let's think about the fact that I'm going to start out with dark indigo as my dark color at first for the shadows. That's the opposite of an orange color, which is uh, a base level color, a local color value for the skin tone, right? A skin color. Or I can start with, if I choose uh, sepia or uh, castle earth or I don't know fill in the blank I'm just picking those two at random but you choose one of these dark values and you start with the darkest area so I'm in the 6 or the 10 but I'm not going to create a 10 out of that but instead what I'm typically going to do is create maybe a 7 or an 8 in value So I have a value structure there. Why? Because if I'm working on white paper, I've already got the brightest represented already. So I quickly start pushing that drawing into a realistic representational um, depiction of what this subject matter will be, right? You remember, we have to think like that anyway. If you break the value structure at any point, then the whole drawing will fall apart, right? Remember, we're trying to depict reality, but we're illusionists. We're not showing reality in truth. We're doing something that others from time to time will remind you, wow, that is magical what you just did there, right? Because they're not sure how you did that. You represented something that they can see with their eyes, but they know it's not real what you're creating, right? Okay, so we're making we're using the tools that we have to produce what we think we're seeing, what our perception is of reality. Correct. Does that make sense? So if I'm looking at someone's eyes, then I've got some darks and some lights. I've got some areas that are reflecting light back to me as the viewer. Because there's something glossy and wet, that's the eyeball, right? And so, I, what, what am I left with? I, I, I can't put water on my drawing, right, to, and leave it there and let it sit there so people can see that and have the reflection. Uh, but that's what I'm seeing in reality. So, what am I left with? I'm left with value. I'm left with dark and light in my tools. Well, how do I do that? I do that by using pencil colors that have pigments that are lighter in their structure. And then on the other hand, I'm using on the other side, dark pigments. And so I've got a value structure then that I want to maintain. So I can't show all these things that happen in real life because otherwise, I would create a bust of a person. You know, I would, I would mold this out of clay, and then I would shine a light on it, and I would put a wetness in the eyes to show that. I would make some softness for the hair if I, if I could do that, right? And, and then I would be able to show reality. But instead, I have to be the illusionist, and so I have to create something That represents to me what I may say looks like reality. And all I'm left with is value. That's it. And then color, of course. But I have to start with value. So I have to think about that at the very, very beginning. All right. So if that's the case and I'm having to show where light falls off and quickly turns into the dark area, the darks of the structure that I'm depicting because every single composition stands on its own, has its own value structure. It has a range of values and I have to figure out then early on what that range is. So here's what I suggest. This is going to be a shorter show, but I'm just going to answer this in the way that I kind of approach it myself and the way that I thought about it. I'm studying color all the time and I'm trying to figure out different things about color. I'm trying to, you know, uh, gain more understanding about color all the time. And everything I read about color helps me. And I'll tell you that what helped me more than anything was when I started keeping a sketchbook. And if you narrow it down to only some features, very, very small quantity or a very small sample test amount of features or of a uh, particular corner of a subject. Say you've got a whole head you're going going to be working on in your next project, but say you want to take just the corner of the mouth, put that in your sketchbook, a very, very small scale, and then depict that with colors you think are scary. You know, grab the darks and go ahead and put those in that sketchbook or on your test sheet of paper and see what happens. When you do that. So that has helped me more than anything because I, you know, and the other thing that I do is I don't think about colors in all these complex ways. I mean, you can do that. And from time to time, I may do that. But if someone talks about a particular blue being warm or cool or a green or a red or anything, fill in the blank on whatever color you want to name and talking about it being warm or cool, well, that doesn't mean anything that means nothing it can be it can mean a little bit but it means nothing really until it's a relative thing in a composition right maybe you feel like a thalo blue is a very very cool blue right but it doesn't always have to be if my composition is filled with greens or a lot of blues Paleo blue may, in this case, be a warmer blue, depending on the particular harmony of colors that I'm using. So limit the palette. Limit your palette a lot. Now, one little trick I do with my mind is I'm not. I'm not only limiting my palette a lot of times, but when I start to want to incorporate a, a lot more colors in whatever I'm working on, then what I do is I limit the uh, category of the colors. And so I grab the colors and I, I just think to myself, what, what is this base hue of this particular color? And so I don't get all involved in uh, you know every little pink and red and orange and all of that. I'm just thinking to myself, these are reds and I'm gonna use these reds and I'm gonna push something, lean something back in a lighter direction or a darker direction or warmer or cool direction. And if I do that, I've simplified the process. Usually, when I think about portraits, I just think about red, blue, and uh, <laughs> red, yellow, and blue, uh, and or brown. You know, blue and brown. I think about the dark colors, but red and yellow in the lighter colors. That's most of the time what I'm thinking about. I, I'm not trying to think about all these other complexities in the skin, but you can still achieve realistic skin tones, right? Why is the Zorn palette so popular in oil painting? Because it works. You limit the palette, and I think our understanding grows even deeper when we start to incorporate. More and more colors, because we have a good basis to begin from. So, one of the things to keep in mind before we go then is when you start limiting the palette, and if you keep a daily sketchbook or weekly or however often you can do it, and you sketch in a monochromatic way, or you use like you know, like I've talked about in the past with the chiaroscuro kind of method for portraits or anything that you're that you're working on then what you've done is you have made a difference between the lights and the darks. And remember, you're not ever wanting to have any of your lightest darks to be brighter than your darkest lights, right? And so if we don't violate that and we try to, then go as dark as we should go because of the value structure that we don't want to mess up, then I think we're going to be okay. And I, I would get away from this idea of being timid to go dark. And the best way to do that is practice. So grab that sketchbook, start pushing yourself, mess some up, make it bad, grab black. And uh, if you want to mess something up and just, you know, use black for a little bit, and, uh, and then you'll see what you don't like. You'll see what it looks like to go too dark, uh, you know, and to make it very, very flat. Uh, there's ways of using black that, that uh, work, but, I mean, you can make it just awful and flat. All right, so grab your sketchbook and start messing some things up and practicing in that way. And then read about color as often as possible. Uh, and test with colors. Test different color combinations. Test layering different colors. One book that uh, Julie Podstolsky recently told me about. I've, I've been exploring this book for a little while now. Is What Is Color: Fifty Questions and Answers on the Science of Color. It's a very, very interesting read uh, from a very, very knowledgeable person that knows all about color. And it, you know, color is there. It's wavelengths, and we each interpret colors uh, differently. So I'm not going to get into that right now with this particular uh, show. But I would encourage you to study color as often as possible and practice uh, as well. All right, I hope that was helpful. If you have a question that you would like to phone in to the show, you can always go over to sharpenedartist.com slash podcast and there's a banner over on the right hand side click on that and you'll be presented with a little pop-up you can wrap up a voicemail in that recording and send it over to me that would be awesome uh if you want to phone it in you can do that 513-301-0005 i appreciate you for listening we just passed over the uh 30th i think yeah it was the 30th of uh september which was International Podcast Day. This podcast started back in 2015, and uh, it's been going now for five years. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you listening. There would not be a show if it was not for you. So we'll meet again next week, same time, same place, on Monday. Until then, take care and stay sharp. Bye-bye.